You're listening to Her Heart Heals Divorce Radio. Hi, I'm Christina Cuevas. Seven years ago, I went through a divorce and it completely turned my world upside down. And I'm so glad it did. I documented my healing to share information with other women going through their own divorce journey. And now, with thousands of downloads around the world from divorced women just like you, I'm here to show you how to ditch the shame around divorce and finally heal so that you can regain the confidence to create your most abundant and joyful future. I'm so glad you're here. This is Her Heart Heals Divorce Radio. If you've gone through divorce, you already know that a life event like this can leave us feeling broken and ashamed. Trust me, I can wholeheartedly relate because this was me just a few years ago. Unfortunately, most divorced women make the big mistake of thinking that time will heal this wound, spending months or years carrying this feeling of failure around everywhere they go numbing their pain, or worse, staying closed off to the idea of love again, and that's just backwards. Does this sound like you? I got you. I created a free masterclass called Divorce from Divorce Without Feeling Like a Failure. In this class, you'll discover how to actually move on after divorce so you can finally feel whole and regain your confidence without feeling like you failed. Don't wait. Click the link in the show notes to add your name to the waitlist and be the first to get notified once this class goes live. I won't be offering this for free forever though, so be sure to sign up for this limited offer. See you there. So many of us have found special bonds with our dogs. As a dog mom of three, they are my favorite coworkers, my most trusted companions, and also the reason that I have to see a chiropractor as they all like to sleep in bed with me. They show me unconditional love and their energy has been there to lift me up during my divorce and life after. But what I didn't realize was how much my energy was affecting them and their behavior. It wasn't just them acting out, it was me being stressed and putting off those vibes to them and then them just reflecting what I put out. Light bulb moment, I was making my dog crazy? Oh yeah, that's a real thing. Today, we get to learn from Cameron Thompson. She is both a human and animal coach, providing dog behavior consulting via Hope to Canine Foundation, which is a Southern California nonprofit education hub for dog owners, fosters, and rescuers alike as well as business and process coaching through Alpha Bitch Evolutions. I've been learning from Cameron for years, and I highly respect her and her work. Her knowledge about human dog behavior has taught me so much on my relationships with my own dogs. Cameron has a passion for helping dog owners and trainers heal and grow in harmony with their stewardship responsibilities, guiding humans to see the lessons that dog behavior has which so often represents of our own patterning and process. With both local and virtual offerings, Cameron's coaching programs extend to an international clientele and emphasize supporting women who wish to increase their leadership skills to maximize their impact. 
This is such a great conversation, and I'm so grateful that Cameron agreed to share some of her knowledge with us. So without further ado, on to the episode. Well, thank you for agreeing to come on here and giving us your time and wisdom. I, you were the first person I thought of for this topic because I was like, okay, my dog's stressed out. You met Ruxin. And I realized that a lot of his issues are because of me. And I'm trying to take ownership of that. So you were totally the first person that came to mind. And I, I wanted to know if for the for those that don't know about you and your work, can you give us a little intro? Sure. And thank you. I'm super honored to be on the list of prospective people to contribute to this conversation. And, you know, I think that it's it's amazing awareness when you can be at the place that you're at to understand the interconnectedness of our behavior and energy and, you know, overall health and well being and our animals, let alone our kids, you know, everything is, is affected uh, in our orbit, right? And so it's really just not necessarily about having people sit in a place of shame or blame and feel badly that they've created these problems with their pets, but just having the awareness that they actually have the power to influence it more than maybe they previously were recognizing is the goal here. So um, I, as far as an intro is concerned, you know, I am one of these vulnerability junkies that has spent many years now pursuing personal development. And part of what's happened is in the course of doing that as somebody who's passionate about animal training, I have found that the key to creating success with pets is to create success with people. So a lot of my work centers around sharing, you know, uh, counseling and coaching really on the human end of the leash and blending these two worlds of how do we create a more harmonious and empowered relationships between people and their, and their dogs um, while, you know, really pushing them to reach maybe unexpected levels of healing and empowerment in every other area of their life on account of the lessons that they learn from their dog. And it is incredibly gratifying work. It's incredibly difficult work at times. Um, I've watched people come, you know, back from the edge of suicide and, you know, tremendous grief and all manner of life's challenges and and wounds that we are incurring as we walk this earth. And uh, I never would have thought that I would be doing this. If you'd asked me five or seven years ago, even um, as somebody who was, you know, just a passionate animal welfare advocate, I really have been pleasantly surprised and honored at being invited into some of these spaces with the people that I get to work with every day. It's, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. I, I feel like when people can tap into their passion and realize that they can do it out and make a living out of it and really Mm -hmm. sort of live their purpose, it's, so, so rewarding. Um, and I feel like that is what everybody should be doing. You know, we should be totally. focusing more about what, what brings us joy. And ultimately that will serve as the ultimate gift to humanity. If we're all sort of living out our purpose and our passions. 
Yeah. And I think I 100% agree with you. And I also think that a lot of times it creates a lot of conflict for people, this idea of finding your passion and living your passion and doing what you're called to do, because not everyone has that clarity within themselves as easily as to what that Mm -hmm. is. What does that look like? And I think Mm -hmm. just, you know, some encouragement to your listening audience that it isn't a bright idea or a business plan necessarily for everyone, but for everyone, it is about continuing to grow and push yourself to reach your potential. And that means, you know, your optimal state of health, your optimal state of physical health, mental health, spiritual health, your ability to set healthy boundaries and to communicate expectations, your ability to let go of what other people think about you and to love people unconditionally. These are the things that I think are consistently what it means for all of us to fulfill our purpose. You know what I mean? Even if it's not about doing that in the context of creating a brand or leading a team, your ability to do those things is really gonna hinge on your ability to tackle those foundational pieces that are common within all of us. If you're not putting yourself first in, in certain ways and you're not you know, recognizing the need to speak your truth and heal your wounds and take a stand for what you believe in, those things will hold you back from having an impact mm-hmm. on others and creating potentially a business or a movement that you are so very capable of creating. Um, and that's what's kind of crazy about out dogs. You know, the reason I end up in conversations like this is because our dogs are so darn honest. They can't hide. They, they contribute back. They express back to us everything they see, feel, you know, perceive and experience about us. So if we're kind of hot mess express and we're feeling insecure and anxious, or we're going 90 miles an hour, you know, in one direction, thinking we have to become something in order to be lovable, our dogs are in that environment and in that mix and in that emotional relationship with us going, yo, what are you doing? <laughs> you are crazy, yeah. you know, yeah. this doesn't yeah. feel good. This is a lot of pressure or this is, you know, unstable or you're not trustworthy or you're not reliable. You don't, you know, if you don't have good boundaries, it means it's hard for you to take a stand and advocate for something like a dog. So they just give us back behavioral representations of of the truth of what we are. And when we get that, when we can receive that information, that feedback, when we can take responsibility for that and start making changes accordingly, it's when we are now able to apply our best foot forward in every other area. Because as we start to set boundaries with the dog, as we start to share consequences, as we start to communicate expectations, it's a lot easier to do it with our dog, believe it or not, than to do it with a spouse or an ex or a child or a coworker um, or an employee and and so on. So that's what's kind of neat about this invitation that so many people have right in front of them if they're staring at a pet (laughs) at their feet right now, like I am, you know, who's going, uh, I see you and you can't fool me, you know, let's, let's get busy getting whole here. Totally. And do you think that uh, dogs are so much more receptive to energy because that's almost like a sense that because they can't and they can't articulate with words, are they more receptive to energy than we are? I absolutely think they're more sensitive to it and it it is more easily interpreted by them. 
Um, and it is for obvious sort of genetic and, and biological reasons, because innately they are, they are species that communicate with pressure and a lot more physicality than we naturally do um, from, you know, very early on. They are also, I think, um, because of their primal and instinctual nature and behaviors more connected because they have to pay attention to things differently in order to survive. And if you think yeah. about it, anybody, you know, any one of us who's had even the slightest bit of sort of waking up in our life and, and understanding that there is a sort of energetic, spiritual, cosmic, you know, component to our existence, right? Like that's really what we are. Um, even if you just only tiny little bit relate to that and have had an experience of kismet or something being serendipitous for you, I think you can recognize how, you know, important it is to pay attention to the fact that that dogs are operating on this different plane and much more sensitive to the energetic realm of, of one another and of other species that they interconnect with in order to survive. And that, that if we pay attention to those signs and symptoms more, we also thrive a lot better. Um, and it can be little things, right? Like, what is your body telling you when you don't when you don't feel right about something or you don't feel well because you ate something. I mean, we're getting these messages all the time that believe it or not are absolutely energetic that the dog is way more attuned to, to the point where he or she won't touch something because it has information for them that is outside what might seem obvious and visible or tangibly audible. Um, so I do think they are more sensitive for those reasons and, and more, and that they give us a great example of where we, what we should be aiming for when we're living in a world that is just crazy loud anymore, you know, yeah. and constantly challenging our ability to be uh, aware and, and present to that information as well. Totally. It's definitely a two-way street as far as dogs being teachers for us. And, you know, like you, like you mentioned, the opportunity just being right there in front of us. And it made me think about how often I speak for myself, but how often we take advantage of the fact that they are these living, breathing beings that are also receptive to the things that we're showing them and how we are as leaders in our home, um, which then go out into the world. And that's sort of what sparked my interest or curiosity for this topic, because I thought like for women going through divorce or anybody going through, through divorce, we lean on our animals for mm -hmm. this emotional support and just like we have the uh, emotional support animals and things like that and it made me think of like I had to take a look at my own dog and say he is now a product of what happened and the crazy world that I lived in during my divorce and so mm -hmm. I wanted to know are there signs that we can look for um, in our dog to say it might be too much, or maybe what is, what is now the give and take? How can we make their experience better? Because I'm sure they can't just take and take and take and take without being able to balance it out and give them some comfort. Is there anything that we can look for? Yeah, that's a great question actually. And, you know, I think I'll preface that answer with this and it, and it's that true leadership, true 
love through leadership when it comes to stewarding our pets means not waiting for symptoms, but knowing proactively what you can do to prevent them. Because all behavior is, is one or more unmet needs. So if our dog, our cat, even whatever, we're, spot, we're talking dogs today, if our, if our dog demonstrates through destructive behavior or anxious behavior, whining, barking, even defensive, aggressive behavior is rooted in anxiety. It's very uncomfortable for a dog to, to you know, who's displaying that behavior outside of training, okay? Because there is such a thing as go be a badass and train your dog in detection or, or, you know, protection work and do this as a hobby to bond you and understand the difference of a dog that is attuned and trained and has the ability to turn on and off on command. And genetics play a big part in that too. But our dogs displaying these behaviors in general as pet dogs are telling us about unmet needs. They're telling us about mm. discomfort that we could have proactively prevented. So my hope would be, and you know, I, I am among our audience here in, in a shared experience, right? I have been divorced. I have had many different types of dogs and behavioral issues, and I have coached many types of clients going through many different experiences, such as divorce or loss and so forth. And you know, it is very difficult to prevent these things from happening. That, to be honest, it's, it isn't common for someone to be aware unless they have a significant amount of training. So again, it's not a shame or blame game. If you're, if you're listening and you're reflecting on your own situation, you're going, man, my, my dog's been really destructive lately, or my dog's been really whiny, or I heard from my neighbor that they're barking when I leave them, that separation anxiety. You know, when you know better, you can do better. But if you are somebody who is in that more proactive space right now and has the ability to recognize that life is going to change, in the coming months and you want to try to get ahead of it, that's the best case scenario. And in that awareness, it's about putting structure in place and starting to act as if, right? So not wait like uh, lots of folks have been facing with the land of COVID, you know, not waiting to crate train our puppy we got during lockdown until, you know, it's 10 or 11 months old and it's much harder to do. But proactively doing that in the, you know, for the ability to know in the future that if my dog needs to be hospitalized or, you know, boarded or stay with someone else while I'm taking a break and nurturing myself through my grief, that they will be okay in that experience. They will not have additional stress or anxiety having to be kenneled and, and you know, moved around or in an environment they're not familiar with. So you know, it's a long way of saying your, your behavior symptoms that you're experiencing from your pet that are bothersome, I think are pretty obvious, right? I think most of us know we don't like it when our dog jumps on our company or, you know, scares us with defensive reactive behavior or is just physically overpowering us, pulling on the walk, things like this. And all of those behaviors are information about unmet needs, a lack of clarity, a lack of consequence, a lack of direction and structure and believability and trust in you. And you get that from your animal by showing up in leadership and getting ahead of these problems and doing things that are inconvenient and sometimes uncomfortable to do, but they're about self-sacrifice, right? And if you're mm -hmm. a mom, you know, in a situation of going through divorce, you already innately know this about how you navigate for your children. 
you already innately know that there are certain things that they just come last about your, your feelings, your needs, your energy level, because you've got to put those kiddos first. And I think pets are tricky because although we like to say they're our babies, they don't always get the same level of awareness and time and respect of need. And truthfully, they are in so many ways easier than kids because you can put them in a box, but <laughs> you've right. Gotta, right. you still have to consider them similarly as a living, breathing being with needs. And this is also where yeah. I would say we should take the opportunity to really remind folks, this is not the time to get a pet in that circumstance of being really vulnerable and insecure and unsure about the future or emotionally fragile, unless you have support, you know, to know that you've got backup, you're getting an animal that's well matched for what you're going through, meaning it is strong and hardy and, and, you know, confident enough to understand your emotional fragility, because that is possible to do. Problem is it's, it's not common, right? Most of us feel Mm -hmm. pretty impulsive and we go, I want a puppy. That'll make me feel good. A lot of us are feeling that way on election day. You know, I want a yeah. puppy. Yeah. That'll make me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> For um, sure. But it's, it, it, you're, you're basically saying I'm going to have a baby and think about what that might entail as far as time and energy and um, emotional sacrifice, because it's probably not the best time to do that right now, you know, when it comes yeah. to those sorts of things. And that's a way in which you can be proactive not just looking for symptoms and responding to whatever your, your, you know, dog throws at you in that crisis mode. Totally. And I think the same goes for really any type of grief. Um, I recall often a lot of people who experience the loss of a loved one um, as far as death and mm-hmm. people, people are quick to say, well, let's get them a dog. Let's get mm-hmm. them a companion. Mm-hmm. So that's actually counterproductive for the dog, mm-hmm. for the animal. It's a disservice for, for the animal. Yeah, it can be. I mean, in some ways they get us up every day, right? And they, they force us to get out and they can be, you know, incredibly healing and therapeutic. Absolutely. It's one of their most magical skills is just this natural medicine, right? But yeah. where a lot of the conflict ends up coming from is that it's a it's an already unstable dog. It's already insecure, or it's already um, you know under socialized or inexperienced, um, and so the stress is easy to produce. Um, and then once the animal is stressed, you change housing situations. Maybe your schedule changes because now you're working and you weren't previously. These are common scenarios, right? When we go through divorce and we have to take on more responsibility for ourselves or um, you know, our environment and so on. These are, these are stresses, no matter how you slice it, there's stresses on us, there's stresses on our pets. And that's when you start to see the cracks in the foundation and behavior really fall apart, um, on account of that additional stress. So, you know, if we have a dog that we've raised and we're going through, through a loss and, you know, and or a divorce, and that animal is five or six years old and they're settled and mature it's going to be a very different outcome potentially than if we got that puppy six months, 12 months, 18 months ago. And we're going through these same things when it also is going through some pretty crucial developmental periods and, um, you know, maybe didn't have the investment of training and, and structure previously because of where we were at in our personal life. 
that's a very hard combination to walk through. Um, yeah. you know, as you're also tackling what is just natural result of moving forward with your life. So, you know, lots of people find themselves in these situations and it's, it doesn't do any good to beat ourselves up, but it's just, it's good awareness. I think for anybody who is having the opportunity right now to hear it proactively, that the boundaries that you're able to employ in a fragile, vulnerable space are some of the most powerful boundaries you'll ever uh, set for yourself. And they are the hardest. <laughs> they just are. Um, totally. But they're some of the and most light, life-saving. <laughs> yeah, no, and I feel, exactly. And I feel like myself, those boundaries were not, I was never merging the two worlds together where I said my boundaries that I have for my dogs in my house don't, I never thought that they crossed paths with the boundaries that I set forth in the world and my relationships outside of home. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was, that was super huge for me to realize and come to that realization um, in my experience with my dog. And one of the things that I noticed was that no matter what the physical activity was, I could take him out, particularly talking about Ruxin, my anxiety dog, and I could take him out, run him, do five miles and come home. And I would Mm -hmm. still notice certain anxiety symptoms. He gets the zoomies a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, He gets like the itches and, and the anxiety itches and things like that. And so Mm -hmm. I started to implement, um, moments of calm because I realized I'm I perform at a very high level of stress and that's for me something that I've had to also take into account and say I'm making my dog crazy just like I'm making myself crazy and Mm -hmm. um so I've had to implement moments of calm Mm -hmm. in in my home in my daily life and with that, I've tried to make it a point to incorporate that with my dog mm-hmm. and say, okay. so for example, in the evening, I will light an incense and just say a quick little, little prayer or a little gratitude, something of gratitude, but I do it with him. And mm-hmm. it's just this moment of calm. And I've noticed that in doing those little things is it solved the issues of mm-hmm. his behavior, of his anxiety. So is that really, when you have a dog that has anxiety or when you're going through something yourself with and having anxiety, is the answer just implementing more moments of calm or throughout the house or throughout the day in the house, or is it getting outside going on that walk or is it both? I think it can be both. Absolutely. But I think it, it is a hundred percent more valuable to practice that off switch. And that is the thing that you never feel like you want to do. Um, and so it's just, that's the, that's information for you. That's the sign right there. If you, if you would naturally cough up a rebuttal to me, if I said, sit down and meditate every day for 15 minutes and you would go, yeah, right. I can't turn my brain off for that long then right there, that's automatically telling me uh, that, that that's exactly the thing that you need to do. 
and doing it in conjunction with having your dog on their own downstay and just learning to chill and turn off is really powerful. It really is. It builds a habit and they won't want to do it at first. You won't want to do it at first. You won't feel like doing it until you do it, until you're consistent at it and you create a habit, which by the way, for me, I fought for over a year. I really did. I had an amazing business coach who was telling me, you got to meditate. You got to meditate. You got to meditate. I'm like, this is bullshit. I can't do this. I can't turn my brain off. <laughs> this doesn't work for me. Right. I had, I fought it for a year when I finally buckled down and realized I was not cresting over a certain level in my business development journey or my personal development health journey that I needed to give it at least a 30 day try consistently. When I finally buckled down and did that, and for me, by the way, it helped to start at night. I know a lot of people really struggle with the idea of doing it first thing in the morning. And, and I finally kind of cracked the code for myself by starting at night. Now I can, you yeah. know, it's a consistent morning practice or even more than once in a day, I'll, I'll turn toward it as a way of knowing that I can kind of regulate. But um, point being, I didn't feel like doing it until I did it. And at a certain stage of consistency, all of a sudden I noticed I craved it. You know, something would happen in my business. Somebody would have an issue or there would be a staffing thing or, you know, whatever, something that would just start to hit on some of those deep triggers that we carry around until we do the work to get rid of them. And all of a sudden my brain would go to, I got to step out for 15 minutes and just plug into a meditation. And I thought that was really fascinating because it happened very unconsciously. Um, but yeah. it absolutely, you know, surprised me by how clear it, it had become a habit and a, and I had a relationship to myself that, that shifted um, to my ability to be okay in my own skin, which is exactly what we coach people to do with their dogs. They have to learn to be okay in their own skin without you, away from you without being run and, and, you know, the ball being thrown and a chew toy being there and the Kong being stuffed with crap and frozen in the freezer and set out for them. They have to be able to be okay in their own skin, even if it feels like the sky is falling. And I think we mm -hmm. all are struggling to arrive at that place as human beings as well, because we're, we're so built over the years to try to drown out feelings to try to outrun our fears, to try to, you know, outperform our doubts. We're all in this kind of chronic struggle, I think, um, that is very counterproductive to our overall happiness and well-being. And, and by the way, all those things that create a great relationship, right? Self-awareness, yeah. you know, honesty, mm -hmm. um, fair and, and respectful communication and, and boundaries and expectations. These things are foundational to a healthy relationship and wanting to attract a better, more appropriate relationship going forward, which I think most of us do. It's really important to be able to be good in your own skin and not have those issues of codependency, right? And to be fearful about being alone and, and then accepting less than what we should be. Um, so mm -hmm. teaching our dogs to do this is to me, very, um, fundamental and very paramount to giving them true loving stewardship. I think that it's, there's just too many things that we can't control about their day to day and their life on earth with us that are crazy and counterintuitive for them, but teaching them to be okay anyway, 
and the ability to just turn off and lay down and chill out and not have to be Mm -hmm. going all the time. um, It really empowers them to walk through this strange, crazy world and our fluctuations emotionally and psychologically and energetically with very little fallout by comparison. So um, I love that you sort of naturally started finding those moments of calm for you and incorporating them as something that you kept him in your environment to experience. Cause I definitely recommend that people meditate and have their dog on place nearby them, you know, or when you walk, when you exercise, make sure it is a partnership experience that you're not so plugged into your headphones, right. That, you know, or talking on the phone that your dog is with you, but not re- you're not really with them. You know, mm-hmm. um, there 100%. is a difference. There is a difference. Yeah, I noticed it. And it's interesting that you said that you started at night because I feel like that's when uh, my anxiety creeps in is at night Mm -hmm. when everything Mm -hmm. from the day from the working day sort of comes to a close. And I have this thing where I feel like if I'm not working on Mm -hmm. something, Mm -hmm. I am not worthy. Mm -hmm. And so I've created this pattern, I did, and I was always on my phone, always on my computer, always stressed out because I feel like I'm just, if I could just do one more thing today, then maybe Mm -hmm. I could, I could be so accomplished for the day. But Mm -hmm. I noticed that at nighttime, I would get anxiety and my dog would also get anxiety. And so that's when Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I do the same thing every night. I've created a structure for them because I know my dogs really respond well to a structured day. Um, but at the same time, I've, I'm now a product of my own creation. And so mm-hmm. I noticed that at a certain, at a certain moment of the evening, I have a whiny dog. And I, mm-hmm. so I tried, I tried to be proactive and try to implement those moments of calm in the evening. And man, what what a difference it's made in his confidence, in my confidence. And it's just, it's become a beautiful uh, ritual, if you will, in the evenings for us Mm -hmm. to have those moments um, that we share together. And Mm -hmm. so it's been, it's been really rewarding. And it kind of led me to think of the saying that you can't teach a bulldog new tricks, which I think is, bullshit do you agree (laughs) I totally do yep yep we get senior dogs all the time and often with you know significant behavior problems that have stacked up and we see remarkable transformations one of my absolute favorites in fact uh is a dog named Dublin who came to us with human aggression and he was uh just absolutely had taken over the house and really ruined his owner's social life and ability to, you know, feel safe themselves in their own home or have anyone over. And uh, it's, he, he is the most extraordinary dog today. He's 11 years old. I think we did his training two or three years back and he's the most pleasant, lovely, happy dog. He was just utterly without direction. And, you know, it is pretty amazing to see. So you absolutely can teach an old dog new tricks. And I think that you can flip that around and really find uh, comfort and encouragement in the acknowledgement of that being true for us as humans as well. Because oftentimes I think it feels like, especially when we're going through 
a, a breakup or a divorce, man, you feel, you feel like shit. You feel like you're hitting your patterns. You're hitting your, your, you know, maybe generational stuff too. I mean, my mom was married three times. Um, and so, you know, to go through that experience often brings up a lot of, of sense of insecurity and inadequacy that we have to learn to heal and overcome and, and confront head on. And the reality is you are a human being, you are ever evolving and full of opportunity and potential still to march toward a better version of yourself and to learn from your experiences. And to me, that's what new tricks are, you know? It's new tools. Yeah. It's having new tools in your toolkit. It's having new perspective, having new humility and awareness and gratitude. That's all it is. And we're really imbuing into the dog a similar result. We're just teaching them yeah. to have a new perspective. We're teaching them to build self-control. We're teaching them to be okay in their own skin, which is all of that same awesome, you know, equivalent of becoming and, and, you know, uh, comfort with themselves and potentially, you know, you're seeing then the more authentic dog, like we get to do in, in our training programs. And then it's really fun because now all of a sudden this, all these opportunities open up. And I think that's also very true on the human end of the leash. When you confront your grief, your loss, your shame, your fear, your insecurity, all these opportunities start to flood in for you and you get to attract different things and build the different outcome and reality for yourself. So if we can do that in tandem, uh, you know, with a dog that maybe is or was struggling, um, it's pretty darn fun because now you got a partner who is more loyal than any dude will ever be <laughs> or lady. <Yeah. laughs> how, how lucky are we, you know, that we pretty get cool. to have yeah, I mean, we're so lucky for those that are listening and are lucky enough to have uh, an animal companion. Um, it's such a blessing, blessing for mm -hmm. sure. It is a connection and like I, nothing else when you when you have that, you know, vibe and it's pretty amazing. I've had some pretty extraordinary uh, relationships of, of friendship and connection and loyalty and camaraderie with my dogs over the years. And I can't imagine yeah. not, not having that. I know for sure. It, it, for anybody listening, I wanted to know if, if anybody had like, a, I know going through divorce is it's crazy. It turns your whole life upside down and people have to navigate, like you were mentioning, new jobs, new places to live, all this change. If people only had 30 minutes in a day to dedicate to their animal or dog, um, what would you suggest? Oh, that's a great question. Gosh, um, challenging one too, because it really varies, but I would say, um, honestly, if you only have 30 minutes to dedicate, do what your dog loves. And that's not as easy as it sounds. Um, because, you know, for the majority of our dogs, they are, they are centered around a particular drive state, um, which is like the same way you can think about personality or temperament in the human world. And so if you have a dog who has high prey drive, 30 minutes of a, of a hunting related type activity where he gets to 
you know, bite and tug and seek and use his nose is so unbelievably satisfying that he or she will be far more likely to then crash out and sleep soundly in a crate for you while you have to go off to work or deal with investing more time with your kids or whatever the situation dictates, right? Um, yeah. And so, you know, I would say figure out what your dog is driven to do and what they love and spend quality time doing that because too often we try to you know, run them down or throw the ball enough times. And, and that's not the same thing. It's not the quality interaction of a, a challenge to their brain or a real fulfillment to their body. Um, there's ways to make it, a, you know, to, to have it be a game that's convenient in your home. There are ways to be very practical and, and have these outlets very accessible you might need a little trainer support. And, you know, that's what our community classes are for, for example, is there, there's no charge, they're donation-based. And we talk about these things and show people, here's how you can be more fulfilling to that animal so that those needs are met and the behavior dissipates, right? Um, yeah. But it, it really is um, specific to finding what your dog loves and spending that quality time doing that so that they feel seen, they feel satisfied, you are the source of the crack that they want right? at that point. It's not, they're not trying yeah. to look for it everywhere else, sniffing and pulling on the leash on the walk and being overly distracted and, and territorial. These are all things that come from not having an outlet for who they really are and being directed and yeah. how to express themselves. And so if you spend 30 minutes and your objective is to give your dog the opportunity to do something they love, then you are actually looking at that animal as an individual and caring to know them and connect with them. And you will, I think, be amazed at how much more relationship you get out of that and how much more ease you experience in your dog's willingness to do the things that you tell them to do that they don't necessarily want to do. Um, and to be able to be, you know, calm and, and separate and relaxed as you're going about your life in other areas. So that is the answer that I'll go with in this case, but it, <laughs> yeah. may, it may slightly vary where I just speak with an individual about, you know, a dog with particular issues or, or sometimes health limitations, things like that. Um, but people can always hit me up if they want to chat on the phone about a specific case. I'm happy to. Yeah, I know. I mean, I know for sure 30 minutes a day is far too little to, to spend on ideally people should be spending how much time, um, with their dogs. Is that, is there a, a guideline that you go off of? Or, you know, like, there really, people... there really isn't, to be honest, it's all about quality over quantity. If, you know, you use an amazing management tool, like a kennel and your dog is crated when you can't actively, interact with him or her exercising, playing or training, then they will be better off than if they're free roaming, getting into trouble and, you know, underfoot and addicted to you for 12 hours a day. And then you get frustrated and, and close them in a room because you can't get control. So it's, it's really about quality over quantity and 30 minutes honestly could be pretty life-changing if people actually spent that time doing quality things with their dog, not being unconscious yeah. about it, you know, and moving through the day with a lot of togetherness, but disconnectedness. And I think this is the battle of human psychology. 
emotionally, we feel better if we can say our dog was free in the house or hung out in the backyard or on the property for all these hours in a day. But in the dog's world, that's not what is most important to them. In the dog's world, that is not what is most balancing and fulfilling to them. If the flip side of the coin is that they're practicing bad habits, they're roaming around being triggered by everything they hear and, and defensive of your home because you know they're being put in a situation where everything is potentially their business or their problem. You know, they might be building mm. habits of digging and chewing and soiling. And these are all things that are going to create confusion when you come home and you're upset about it. So I honestly prefer, and I tell my puppy clients this all the time. If you have a little puppy under six months old, I tell them all the time, your puppy should be more in the crate than they are out of it. Truthfully, because of how easy it is to create long-term behavioral issues spending too much time with that animal, especially if you don't know what you're doing, you know, as a, as a trainer with that mindset or from, you know, either from spending too much time together or from having too much freedom that is unguided. And so especially I, now, right. Yes, in COVID yes, and the pandemic yes. and people being home all the time. Uh, yes. Major separation, anxiety, epidemic major separation anxiety epidemic. And I think us dog trainers are going to be rolling in business for the, for the foreseeable future because of it, which is sad. I mean, I've always said I would love it if, if I would go out of business because people felt empowered and clear enough about getting a dog at the right time, getting the right dog for them and knowing how to set it up for success. Um, but you know, these are just a reality of challenges we face trying to blend our species and struggling to have emotional objectivity about it. So put your dog away guys. And when you bring it out, make it count. Otherwise put yeah. them away so they can rest and recover from their own stress and their own drains and have separateness from when you're not in a great headspace and you need to be tending to your wounds and do not feel guilty about that. It is truly more compassionate to give that dog excessive structure, even if it means there is less interaction and freedom. It really is about quality over quantity. Yeah, wow. Um, I could go on and on with all my questions, but I wanna value your time and, and end our conversation here. I know your community class has been really helpful for me. I am really looking forward to attending more of those. And I know that's local to LA, Orange County, San Diego. How else can people find you? Absolutely. We do produce a decent amount of virtual content as well. So hitting us up on our Facebook page under the foundation that I run, Hope to Canine Foundation, um, that's a great place to start because you'll be able to have access to questions and, you know, we offer a free virtual consulting, we call Fix It Friday kind of a show. Um, and so, you, you know, if you have issues and challenges and needs and you would like support and you're willing to do the work for yourself, reach out and schedule to have one of those conversations with me so that I can give you my more customized, tailored advice for your situation at no charge. Um, there's always the opportunity to jump on, you know, for a virtual call or, or something like that as part of what the foundation's mission is. It is our goal and objective to help dogs stay in their homes and out of shelters and rescues or from unnecessary euthanasia by providing education and support resources to people who are going through life 
and struggling with a difficult dog um, and all the manner of reasons why, you know, especially in the context of divorce, dogs end up often displaced or really struggling and, and kind of, you know, uh, coming out worse on the other side rather than being able to represent the very healing and therapeutic partnership that they're capable of with you going through these experiences. So um, I would definitely say follow us on our Facebook page. Feel free to email me, Cameron at hope2canine.com. Christina is welcome to share, you know, my links for strategy calls. And, and I'm happy to connect with anybody who wants support and is ready to dig in and do the work. I've got plenty of advice for you. <laughs> you just got to yeah. be ready to put the no. work in. Exactly. Exactly. I, uh, my heart is so full and thank you so much. You've inspired me so much, um, oh, on my own you. journey and really helped me to take the reins in my own home with my dog. So I'm sure this will be so much valuable information for those listening. Um, for you, super happy and proud yeah. of you. And I thank really, I, I sure hope that people are feeling that empowerment and, you know, are able to borrow on faith that what we're telling them is true. You know, it may feel really shitty and heavy right now, but you know, the more you can dig your heels in and see your pet as a catalyst for moving forward and, and creating the life you want, they will repay you tenfold in building those leadership skills and all that yummy stuff that you need to create what you want going forward. It's pretty, pretty amazing. Want to learn more? I'm going to add a link in the show notes to the website, herheartheals.com. And there you can access all of my helpful tips, the blogs on there, and schedule a session with me. Are you on Instagram? I'd love to connect. You can follow me and my handle is at herheartheals. Hope to connect with you soon.